Jess is back. Woohoo! Yay me! I'll tell you what's not back. Is it your voice? My voice, yeah. <laughs> At this stage, I think this could be me for the rest of my life. I wish I'd been with you for that World Cup final. I can't believe how loud <laughs> you must have been screaming at the TV. As you can hear yeah. from my lovely dulcet tones, I was much more the silent um, sulker <laughs> of the of the viewing That's population. Right. Silent sulky chair. So dear. okay, let oh me do a, let me do a bit of a talking for you because I've got something very heartwarming that I want to share with okay. you from your neck of the woods, actually, in Wellington where three-year-old William was having a birthday party at Scorching Bay, lovely part of the city, when the invited guests either pulled out or didn't show up. <gasps> I know. And so oh, his no. parents, their eyes started welling about an hour in when still no one had shown up to pull William's birthday. And being almost three, he was really aware that it was his birthday and he started oh, kind of no. asking where all the guests were, which as a parent of oh, it just must have been awful, panic-inducing. But his dad had the quick-thinking idea to post on Vic Deals, that old ah. Facebook page, never lets you down, Okay. that if anyone wanted to come and um, enjoy the sun and the sand with William at Scorching Bay, they were most welcome, and the people of Wellington came through. Oh. There was even actually an old couple apparently who bought him an inflatable shark to play with at the beach. So he had oh. a great time, his dad said. He made sand angels, he ate marshmallows, he even fell asleep in the car on the way home. So can't beat Wellington. Oh, can't beat Wellington on a good day. No. And you can't beat Wellingtonians on a bad day. <laughs> uh, look, I'll explain why I didn't go. I don't have access to Facebook. Otherwise, if I'd seen that post on Victor Hills, I would have been there too. You would have been right there. Oh, that's so nice. I know. Uh, I know. I'm, oh, how lovely. How lovely that we could turn things around. But also annoying if you if you bloody RSVP to a birthday party, show up, even if it's for a three-year-old. Okay, rant over, heartwarming story finished. Let's get into the rest of the show. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Jess. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. Is it too late to stop the Israel-Hamas war from spreading further into the Middle East, or is a ceasefire still possible? The special votes are finally out on Friday. We have everything you need to know about how it will all play out. Online supermarket Soupy has gone under, but what went so wrong for the retailer that appeared to be doing everything so right. Plus, meet the Peter Parker of the Premier League, the anonymous master rapper who says he's a big-time footballer in the UK. Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, it was Premier a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Israel tanks are now making nighttime raids into Gaza as the international community's calls for some sort of ceasefire continue. It's not clear if this is the start of a full-scale invasion or a methodical clearing of parts of Gaza, including the infamous tunnels used by Hamas. More than 200 Israelis of all ages, from infants up to the elderly, are still being held hostage in Gaza following the raid that killed 1,400 people. And the Hamas-run Health Ministry reports over 8,000 Palestinians, including many children, have been killed in the Israeli airstrikes. Jeffrey Miller is an international analyst with Victoria University's Democracy Project. He's lived in the Middle East and has been writing about this conflict. Kia ora, Jeffrey. Welcome to Newsable. Hello. In the history of conflict between Israel and Hamas, Jeffrey, has there ever been an invasion into the territory quite like this? Israel withdrew from 
Gaza in 2005 and and stopped occupying the Strip. But it did go back in 2014 in a limited uh, ground invasion that was focused mainly on destroying the tunnels. It was focused more on the open areas. It never it was never a full scale invasion. Their objectives were different back then. The objective now by Israel seems to be to destroy Hamas completely, and that will require a full ground invasion. I think all the signs point to that, that Benjamin Netanyahu is deadly serious about this, and uh, the constant comparisons are being made with ISIS, and seems like you know, only the complete elimination of Hamas will, will be sufficient uh, for Netanyahu, for the government, for the Israeli people uh, in the main at the moment. So I think probably what we are seeing is the beginning of that full ground invasion. What about the risk of further increasing tensions in the region and the risk of involvement of others? Is that what we're going to see here as these in, uh, ground invasions continue? Absolutely. There's a real risk of this spilling over and turning into a much wider regional war. There are so many players involved in the Middle East and particularly on this issue. Uh, Lebanon is one and Hezbollah, which is a group that operates freely in Lebanon. They've got 150,000 rockets, many of which are far more sophisticated than anything Hamas has. 100,000 well-trained fighters. They've got closer links with Iran, and Iran is, you know, the operative word here. Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah—they're all linked together in one form or another. To the degree to which they're linked is always debated, and just how direct the support is between Iran and Hamas. Beyond that, you know, there are all kinds of other players involved. We've seen missiles also being sent Israel's way by Houthi rebels uh, from Yemen which is way down at the foot of the Arabian Peninsula, 2,000 kilometres away. So uh, yeah, Israel's managed to stop those so far, but I think it's just another sign of how this war could escalate and it could get pretty grim. There is strong international opposition to the action being taken by Israel and debates about whether the scale of civilian deaths in Gaza can be justified under a right to defend itself. Do you think nations will start withdrawing support if nothing is done to reduce the suffering of civilians in Gaza? And should New Zealand be trying to do more here? Public opinion has shifted. If you go back to October the 7th, I think there was a moment there where there was immense public sympathy for Israel in a way that we hadn't seen for decades. But that began to shift quite quickly and I think has only accelerated as the war has gone on. And you've seen that with those mass protests over the weekend in many parts of the world, including in New Zealand. Uh, I think you're seeing European countries in particular finding this quite hard to deal with because countries like Germany, for historical reasons, for example, do see their role is very much defending Israel and their right to exist and the right to defend itself. But against that, they're watching nightly on their TV screens the, the scenes of absolute devastation and you know, Palestinian women and children uh, being killed by Israeli bombs. And it's very hard to stomach. So mm. I think at a political level, you know, there's a continual re-evaluation of the situation. Are we doing the right thing? here and I think in New Zealand that will be no different as well. We'll be we will be constantly reevaluating our position. Jeffrey Miller from Victoria University's Democracy Project, we really appreciate your time. You're very welcome.
I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about Dr Journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That I think that it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Okay. Nothing if in there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. We have a bit of a request for you. The New Zealand Podcast Awards are coming up and there's a listener's choice category where you can nominate your favourite podcast. Now, I don't want to be presumptuous and assume who your favourite podcast may be, but hey, you're listening to us now, so perhaps we would appreciate it if you could take some time out of your busy day to chuck us a nomination. Let's get newsable to the awards. I'd love a reason to wear a fancy dress, you know. We'll chuck a link up on the Instagram, just search NZ to find us on Insta, but you can also just head to nzpodcastawards.com and there's a link to nominate for the listener's choice on that main homepage. I've already done it on multiple email addresses. It takes about 30 seconds, so everybody, get amongst. (laughs) I haven't yet. I should do that, eh? It's been a hot minute since we talked about the election because, well, we've been in this weird holding pattern, but... Friday is finally the day that the special votes are all counted and we get the official, final 2023 election results. And here to give us the special vote Friday 101 once again is Newsable's friend, Stuff Political Reporter, Glenn McConnell. Glenn, thank you for coming back. So what exactly happens on Friday? Talk us through the timing. Do we wake up and bam, the results are all uploaded on election.com? Or... <laughs> That's the official website. <laughs> Yeah, we'll check check stuff from 2pm. We'll have live uh, live coverage Friday of the election results again. Friday will be huge for negotiations, but look, it's still going to be quite a while before we know who forms the next government. Friday is when the Electoral Commission says uh, what everyone voted for, because on Saturday night of, of election night, we only got 80% of the results. 20% of people voted through special votes and that's what we're finding out. Remind us what that physical number of that 20% is and where those special uh, votes came from. Yeah, special votes are all sorts of reasons. Maybe you are enrolled to vote really late. Maybe you're overseas. Maybe you were just like down the road. You're in another electorate and they didn't have the right polling booth for you. So you had to write out a special vote. And then also over the past few weeks, it isn't just those results that took ages to count. They've been like double checking the ordinary results to make sure that those were accurate as reported on Saturday night. 20%, it's it's a pretty big deal, right? We don't expect major changes, Mm. but in the past there have been one or two seats have gone from right to left normally. At the moment, National and ACT have 61 seats. That is a very slim majority. So Christopher Luxon has been speaking to Winston Peters, trying to get his support because he has eight seats that would make it comfortable. And it only takes one or two, you know, MPs to go rogue on 61 and then suddenly, boom, no more government. Um, so Luxon has been shoring up support and we expect normally that our National Act will lose maybe one seat between them uh, mm-hmm. after the special votes are counted. So if we just play out a couple of scenarios then with you, Glenn, mm-hmm. if you can use your crystal ball for us, say the special votes come on at 2pm and that majority is still 61. Do you expect Christopher Luxon to stand up and maybe hold a press conference and say, look, this is the deal that we've done? Or will they still, like you mentioned, because the margin's so tight, need to have Winston Peters on board? They have been talking and they've been having dinners and stuff up in Auckland to discuss how they'll work together. Luxon's been calling it relationship building uh, between the three parties. Um, 
61 seats is what they've been working towards. You'd expect it should be done really quickly. People I've spoken to have said, you know, within a week um, that could be decided. Oh, wow. Actually, within a week, though, is the minimum um, because on the 9th is when Parliament gets the official official results. We all find out on the 3rd, but Parliament officially says what the results are on the 9th. What's with the week difference? And are they different? It's funny, right? It's like a, a procedure, formalities that they go through where everyone knows the result, but they don't officially say, hey, this is it. This is who the MPs will be. I asked the Clerk of Parliament, David Wilson, about that just before. He said it's to give people a week to challenge the result in court if they don't think it's legit. Well, good luck on Friday, Glenn. Thank you so much for talking us through that all stuff, political reporter Glenn McConnell. And you know what? We'll probably see you soon. No doubt. Every time we say, that's the last time, it never is. So. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> we'll keep this relationship building going, shall we, <laughs> See you guys. What led online supermarket Soupy to go into voluntary administration is next. Plus, we've also got the anonymous rapper who says he's a big-time footballer chat. Still to come, emphasis on chat about it because we don't actually have the actual rapper. Apologies. If you can forgive us for that. Remember, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, we'd love it if you gave us a follow on your favourite podcast platform. And leaving us a review is always a welcome option too. Well... It was only a few days ago that we talked about online supermarket underdog Soupy and how its prices were in some cases far cheaper than the likes of the big three, Countdown, New World and even Pack and Save. In case you missed that corridor, Soupy was an online supermarket retailer, only available though to those living in Auckland, Bay of Plenty and the Waikato. But now we have the news that it's gone into voluntary administration. Joining us now to chat about what's gone wrong for a retailer that seemed to be, from the outside at least, doing all the right things is Chris Schultz from Consumer New Zealand. Chris, welcome back. Kia ora, Imogen. I'm, I'm sorry we're having to talk about this just a few days after we were sort of celebrating Subi's arrival and its kind of successes too. Exactly, Chris. What do we know about this voluntary administration? What do we know about what's gone wrong? Well, not a lot at the moment. Uh, they're not answering calls, at least not. they're not answering my calls. We know they're in voluntary administration. Uh, I, I believe an investor has pulled funding and a couple of directors have stepped down. So, mm. And it does sound like there are some pretty hefty debts there as well, which I think you'd expect from a, a company that is trying to expand fast, right? This is the kind of Silicon Valley method. You move fast and break stuff. And they had uh, announced plans to launch retail stores in the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, it seemed like like a success. The most recent social media posts were uh, Christmas promotions. Wow. So this does seem to have come as a shock to a lot of people, including those that work there. So there was no sort of writing in, on the wall? They seem to be doing everything right. This is what New Zealand desperately needs. This is what the Commerce Commission has said. And there was a press release issued by New Zealand's Grocery Commission. And he said one of his top three priorities was increasing competition in New Zealand's supermarket sector. Now, when the biggest contender for offering an alternative to the duopoly has now no longer there, I think, you know, they're going to struggle to do that. I don't know if you're an investor, you'd you'd want to put your money into that now because there's an example of it not working. So it's tough. Mm. It's really tough. What does this mean for our supermarket market? What does it tell us about how impossible it is to break through into our supermarket market? 
Yeah, I, I think it tells us the duopoly has a stranglehold and it's really hard to get a foot in the door. I think too, for consumers, you know, that lack of competition is it's just something that's leading to higher prices. Mm. You know, uh, the Commerce Commission has said that the, the duopoly is making an excess of a million dollars a day in excess profits. You know, competition leads to cheaper prices. It's just natural in that sector. And if we don't have that, then how far can they go? keep going up? I don't know. Well, it's a shame. And of course, it means job losses as well. It's it's not good news anywhere you look. It'll be interesting to see uh, what we find out in the coming days and weeks. Chris Schultz, thank you very much for joining us again. You're welcome. It's time now we introduce you to a mysterious character. The Peter Parker of the Premier League. The Banksy of football. The Hannah Montana of the soccer world. Hannah Montana. Throwback. We do not hear about Hannah Montana enough anymore. But yes, actually, that is the perfect comparison. So there is a masked rapper in the UK who also claims to be a Premier League footballer. His name is D-Day and he's driving football fans and music fans absolutely nuts trying to figure out who he is. They're analysing his voice, they're trying to match his tattoos and are pouring over the locations of his music videos. He wears this black diamond mask and he actually keeps the rest of his body covered, including his hands even, to not give anything away to anybody. However, he has just given his first interview to Sky News UK. Take a listen. I'm a professional football player. I can't really say much more, but... Yeah, I mean, a lot of my teammates have, you know, asked me like, "Oh, is it you?" Um, but you know, I've got to keep it, I've got to keep it a secret. But you know, maybe, maybe I might reveal myself in the future. Who knows? And I know what you're all asking: Is this not just some big marketing ploy to help drive people to his music? Possibly, actually, because he's no Stormzy. His music's not zooming up the charts by any stretch of the imagination. He doesn't have enough swag, if you ask me, uh, to take things off here. But he swears he's the real deal. He showed off his skills for Sky News. But, of course, he's wearing a mask, so not all his shots hit the back of the net. But he's definitely someone who knows their way around a football pitch. So I believe him. He says this mask actually helps protect him and other footballers, supposedly, because he puts some of their stories into his music. However, here are some of the favourites among the internet sleuths. OK, you might need to know a little bit about football to recognise these players, but we've got Arsenal's Eddie Nkiria, Bakayo Saka and Reese Nelson, and Fulham's Alex Awobi. Will we ever find out, though? Only time will tell. I love a mystery like this. It's so much fun. Time to do some sleuthing of my own, although my money is on Eddie and Ketia. He's got a North London accent. He's definitely an Arsenal player. <laughs> I'm not, it's, it's, it's just, it's him. Anyway, that's Newsbook for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Jess McCarthy. We'll catch you tomorrow. Newsable. News that's worth talking about. If you liked it and reckon it's also worth supporting, please make a contribution at stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.